Always love to hear the chatter. Bit hard to control you lot, though. Carried away. That's good. We got a reading this morning on the on PowerPoint. I'm going to uh, preach from Colossians chapter two. And um, so this is from the um, um, New New Living. New Living Translation, New Living Bible, New Living Translation. So it's a wee bit different than the NIV. It says in verse 6, Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live in obedience to him. And I love these words here. Let your roots grow down into him and draw up nourishment from him so that you will grow in faith strong and vigorous in the truth you were taught. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he has done. Don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the evil powers of this world and not from Christ. For in Christ the fullness of God lives in a human body and you are complete through your union with Christ. He is the Lord over every ruler and authority in the universe. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure. It was a spiritual procedure, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins. He cancelled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules were only shadows of the real thing, Christ himself. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on self-denial. And don't let anyone say you must worship Angels, even though they say they have had visions about this. These people claim to be so humble, but their sinful minds have made them proud. But they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body, for we are joined together in his body by strong sinews, and we grow only as we get our nourishment and our strength from God. You have died with Christ and he set you free from the evil powers of this world. So why do you keep on following rules of the world such as don't handle, don't eat, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teaching about the things that are gone as soon as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, humility, and severe bodily discipline. But they have no effect when it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires. Well, may God speak to us. 
from his word this morning. Um, in Paul's, um, one, of, one of the things that you notice in Paul's letters, one of his favorite little phrases throughout his letters is the little phrase, in Christ, in Christ. Especially in Ephesians, we see this over and over again. He's got this little phrase. Are you in Christ this morning? Paul's great aim in life is to bring you to a point where you know you are in Christ and that secondly, that he wants you to grow to maturity in Christ. Um, Paul said in verse 6 here, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as Lord, you must continue. I wonder how many of you, when you first became a Christian, you did it very hesitantly. Yeah, kind of like you were going to test out the waters. So you put the big toe in. And, but the problem with that is that you tend to continue in the same vein, hesitantly and cautiously. As some of you, when you first became a Christian, I mean, you jumped in, feet and all, you know, it was right in, everything. You know, you surrendered to God. He was Lord of your life, and you were full bore, 100% right from day one, you know, passionate and all the rest of it. And, you know, if you've, if you've known what that's like of being passionate for God, you tend to then continue in that kind of vein. You continue to live in that, uh, that way. Um, verse 6 and 7, Paul writes these great little words that I think are great anyway. Continue to live in obedience to Christ, in to, to obedience to Jesus. Let your roots go down into him. You know, got good strong roots, all of you, down into Jesus. And then you can draw up nourishment from him so that you will grow strong and vigorous in the truth. Let your lives overflow with thanksgiving for all he has done. And I love those words. Let your life overflow with thanksgiving and gratitude. I, I always maintain that if someone is full of gratitude, and you often hear that in their prayers, Full of gratitude and thanksgiving, it's a sign that that person recognises how rich God's grace has been towards them. They're full of gratitude, and it overflows. And I love, I love it, especially when you see 70-plus people, the grey hairs, who overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving. It's just a sign of God's grace that's been rich in their lives. And so uh, Paul is encouraging us in this passage of Scripture to keep our focus on Jesus. We are to live in him, lean on him, trust in him, surrender our lives to him. And there's a, this little phrase here in this passage is live in him. You know, it's an interesting, in the Greek, it's an interesting word. The Greek word is peripatetic, uh, which it, it has that sense of meaning that you walk around in Jesus. You know, the Australian Aborigines got that phrase, go walk about. <laughs> so when you go to work tomorrow, walk about in Jesus. You know, when you go for a walk on the beach this afternoon, have a walk in Jesus. You know, this great sense that Christ is in us and we are in him. And it's, and, and it's just neat if you have that, uh, uh, grow in that awareness that Jesus is around you. And have that sense of his presence around you when you're at work or in the family or whenever. And Paul is saying, live in that. Live in that sense that Christ is in you and you are in Christ. Live in that sense. Go walk about with Jesus. And what Paul is emphasizing here 
is, is that our key, key priority as Christians is that we are to be uh, uh, connected with Jesus and we're to know Jesus and we live in relationship with Jesus. That's our key priority. And he's emphasising this because he goes on to talk about the extras. Because sometimes in our Christian lives, we are looking for extras. And we're not convinced that Jesus is enough for our spiritual maturity. You know, we need these other little add-ons to help us to grow into maturity. Um, and so from verse 8 to verse 23, Paul is talking here about the extras that we can get sucked into um, uh, that can actually, in the long term, lead us away from actually our relationship with Jesus. I think back when I first became a Christian, I had this older guy who said to me one day, he said, Morris, Satan will try to divert you away from following Jesus. He'll, he'll try to take you off a, up a blind alley. And he used an illustration of a horse. You know, he said, uh, being, coming a Christian is a bit like getting on a horse. And Satan will look, make you look at the horse and see the horse's big teeth and say, this horse will bite you, so be careful. Or if you walk around behind this horse, he'll kick you and it'll hurt. And if you do manage to get on the horse, he's going to bolt and he'll kick you, buck you off, you know. But if Satan sees that you're determined to get on the horse, what he'll do, he'll rush up and put his hand out and say, now, put your foot in my hand and I'll help you on. And then what Satan does is he, he helps you on, all right? He gives you such a, a heave, he throws you straight over the other side of the horse and you land flat on your face on the other side of the horse. And I thought it was a great illustration because Satan will do everything he can to make people afraid of becoming Christians. And once we become Christians, he'll do, do everything he can to divert us up side alleys. We get very passionate. I wonder how many of you were passionate in your early days as a Christian, so passionate and so enthusiastic, but you weren't always very discerning. <laughs> Anybody been there like that? I'm sure actually most of us have gone through those stages where we got taken up little side alleys um, and God in his grace brought us back again to the fact that our relationship with Jesus is what is important. But it's easy to get taken upside alleys and put all our passion and our, our um, excitement into those side issues. Paul said in Romans 10, when he was speaking about the Jewish people, he said, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal. And you and I, uh, can end up in that misdirected zeal as well. Um, now, I've lost my place here somewhere, but uh, it's all right. Um, Paul, in this passage of Scripture here, is pointing out that there are extras that in the end can have a huge negative impact on our Christian lives. And, he, and so I'm going to talk about some of these extras. First one is in verse uh, 8, where Paul said, don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the evil powers of this world and not from Christ. Paul is talking here about empty philosophy and human thinking without God. It becomes empty. Now, Christianity is not anti-intellectual. It's not anti-academic study. Uh, sometimes 
In some churches, you can get the impression sometimes that the way you come to worship is you hang your mind up on the coat pegs out in the foyer before you come into church. Christianity has never been anti-study or anti-intellectual or anti-academic. You see, through history, some of the great men and women of God have been great intellectual kind of people who understood all the, the theology and all the rest of it. But they've been great men and women of faith as well. Um, there is great value in studying theology. Theology means, well, theo is the, word for, the Greek word for God, and so it's a study of God. So study of theology is great, great value in that. The study of Christian history and of the great men and women of God, there's always great value in studying the things that are real value for us as Christians. He's, Paul is talking here about empty philosophy and human thinking without God. And I was trying to think of an illustration of what we've seen in the church over the last um, you know, decades. And I thought of how liberal theology is a classic example of empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense. Um, now, some of you may not know what liberal theology is. Well, let me kind of briefly explain. You know, the stronghold of liberal theology back at the beginning of last century was in Germany. And some of the le leading theologians of that day became liberal theologians. And there was one guy in particular, uh, Rudolf Bultmann, who wrote a book called Demythologizing the Gospels. Yeah, now, you probably wonder, what in the heck does that mean? <laughs> well, the idea, you know, the liberal theo theologians sort of, I guess one of the driving forces behind liberal theology was the fact that in the early part or the middle part of last century, science was seen as God. God science had the answer to everything. And if science had the answer to everything, uh, then you don't, people are not going to be interested in the supernatural or the miraculous. So let's take that out of our Bibles. And basically, liberal theology did that. They took the supernatural and the miraculous out of the scriptures. And so you ended up with no supernatural God, no divine Jesus, and no miracles in the Bible. And so you left with a Bible with lots of lots of cuttings and holes in it. And all you end up left was you and me, uh, with our sin and our imperfections. <laughs> and that's what liberal the theology left the church with. And liberal theology decimated most of the mainline churches in the Western world. For example, in New Zealand, the Methodist church. How many of you grew up in the Methodist church here? There's a few of you. What's, where's the Methodist church today? It's a dying denomination. Why? Because right, almost right across the board in the Methodist Church, they got sucked into liberal theology. And now, what do people believe? <laughs> if you haven't got a supernatural God and a divine Jesus and the miraculous events in the Gospels, man, you haven't got much left. And Paul is saying, hey, don't let anybody lead you astray with, astray with high-sounding nonsense. <laughs> That comes from, actually, Paul is saying here that actually that liberal theology came from the evil powers of this world. There was, there was a power of darkness behind liberal theology. And, and, and Satan's out to destroy Christians as well as the church. And boy, he got very close to doing that in many of the Western world and, and a lot of the mainline churches. Um, 
Paul reminds us in verse 9 and 10, three important aspects of theology. He says this, first of all, in Christ, the fullness of God lives in a human body. In other words, Jesus was not only fully a man, but he was fully God. And that's an important part of our Christian theology. Secondly, he says, you are complete through your union with Christ. That's an amazing statement. You are complete in your union with Christ. In other words, Paul is going on to say, you don't need lots of extras to add on to the fact that you can be complete spiritually in Christ. And the third thing that he reminds us here in verse 10 is that because of the cross, Jesus is Lord over every spiritual power of darkness. And we say, hallelujah. And because Jesus has authority, he's given you that same authority to have that power. In other words, Paul is again emphasizing here we've got to keep our focus on Jesus because it's through our relationship with Jesus that we become spiritually mature. Jesus is enough. Second extra that Paul goes on to talk about that can sidetrack us is in verse 16, where he says, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or not celebrating certain days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these were only a shadow that's an amazing phrase, isn't it? These were only a shadow of the real thing, Christ himself. When you look at church history, you realise that throughout church history, there have been long periods when the church was trapped into believing that religious traditions and rules and regulations were all important for our spiritual life and our spiritual well-being. And the church has been trapped into that for so long. Uh, those of us who are in the 70s and 80s will remember little bits of the good old days when there were lots of don'ts around. You know, don't smoke, don't drink, don't gamble, don't dance. You, know, you, you had all those don'ts. <laughs> I, I was brought up in a Presbyterian church and we used to have Bible class dances. And we, I was out in the country, we had, used to have these country dances, all the Bible classes would come together and we'd have all these dances and, and my mum and dad loved dancing. One of, the, one of the lovely memories I have of my mum and dad is if there was a, a waltz on the radio, dad would grab mum and get her on her feet and they'd dance round the kitchen. We had a big farming kitchen, you know, and us kids would sit there with a big smile on their face because there's nothing better than see your parents having a dance round the kitchen floor, you know. <laughs> So I used to wonder, what, what on earth have the Baptists got to do? Why are they so uptight about not having, what, dancing, you know? I used to think dancing was fantastic, you know? So, I, you know, all these don'ts. And I, when I went to university in Christchurch, I happened to board with a lady who was a Baptist, and she used to tell me that when she was a girl, she was an older person, my age probably now, but, you know, she, she, she used to tell me when she was a kid, you know, Sunday was a Sabbath, so all, everything was done on the Saturday in preparation for the Sabbath. So you cooked all your meals for, uh, uh, before the Sunday. You, you got all your shoes polished. Remember the old days when you polished your shoes? You never do that now, do you? 
um, and uh, put out your best dress and all the rest of it. So you, you didn't do any work on the Sabbath that was actually, unless it was absolutely necessary. And the golden rule about kids was you, 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 could, you had to see the kids but not hear them. Yeah, that was the golden rule of that all those days, you know. I, I just think, man, the poor kids. I, I used to grow, grow, I was glad that I grew up on a farm. We could head out, out onto the farm and, and play games in the haystack and all the rest of it. But, you know, poor kids, he's had to sit and be quiet for a whole Sunday. I think, oh, man. But, you know, every generation, every generation struggles with new forms of rules and traditions and they come in different disguises. Uh, our, when our oldest daughter came back from Germany, they were in Germany for 16 years doing Christian work over there, and they got a, a house in Whangaparaua, and her, she, she took her two youngest boys, and, and she went around and visited every na- person around the neighbourhood, and introduced herself, said, oh, we've come back from Germany, we've been in Christian work and all the rest. Man, she had some very interesting discussions. And she found this lady down the back, there's a bunch of houses down the back, who, who was a Christian lady, but she got sidetracked. She had been reading books about going back to your Jewish roots of the, or the Jewish roots of the New Testament. And so she, she wanted to worship God on the Sabbath. She was into the dietary laws of the Old Testament. And, and she got led into this, and the problem was she couldn't find a church now that did what she wanted them to do. And so now she doesn't go anywhere to church. Nowhere. And, I, and, and Lisa sort of keeps contact with her every now and then and really feels for this lady because she's so lonely, doesn't go to church. And it's like her Christian faith has been sidetracked because she got convinced that she needed these spiritual extras in order for her to grow into Christian maturity. And now she's been sidetracked. And, and her relationship with Jesus is a very tenuous one now. And that's the kind of thing that Paul is warning us here. Let's be careful. That some, there are some things that seem so good. But let's be careful that we're not led astray upside alleys that can end up being box canyons and we get boxed in there and we can't find our way out again. Third extra that Paul talks about here is what I call the spiritual extras. Don't let anyone, in verse uh, 18, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on self-denial, for example. Don't let anyone say you must worship angels even though they say they have had a vision about this. I don't know about you, but as a pastor, one of the hardest things I've had to learn how to handle is when people have had a vision and they come to you and tell you that the church has got to fast for the next 40 days because God has given me a vision. <laughs> you know, and there's this drivenness, demanding. Or people say to me, God told me to come and tell you. <laughs> And I've never been brave enough to say to them, well, actually, God hasn't told me that. You know. But those are, those are, you know, it's almost like spiritual blackmail a little bit. And one of the hard things in, in, sometimes in churches, because churches, there are churches that can get into this as well. There are, some of you, I'm sure, will have been in a church somewhere 
where the church leadership demanded that you toe the line and you follow certain rules or certain procedures. And if you didn't toe the line, you were regarded as being rebellious. Um, and I'm sure some of you will have been in those situations where there was an insistence that you had to do this. And I suspect that whenever you're in a situation as a Christian where the leadership or other people are demanding you to do this, or there's an insistence on you to doing this, you have to be suspicious of that. Because God does not um, uh, bring that sense of demand or insistence that you have to toe the line or you're a second-class Christian or you're rebellious or you're disobedient. And yet a, a number of churches around, a lot of churches have been around, who've got into these side extras and have demanded that people do what they say they to do. And people have got condemned and hurt over that kind of thing. And some of you may have been there and you've done it, and you may even still carry some of the scars of that in your life that have un undermined your trust in God, undermine your trust in other people. That's what it often, often happens. Um, I think, again, every generation faces these kind of different extras. Uh, some of you remember back in the 1980s, um, you know, there are certain Christian truths that people grab a hold of and then they push them to excess or an extreme. And remember, I think it was back in the 1980s where there was a, a, a kind of a move that came from the America, which is what sometimes happens. Sorry, sorry John. <laughs> <laughs> About this excessive authority. Remember that? It was kind of like everybody had to be an authority to everybody else in the church. Yeah? And, and, and uh, I remember I was reading this book. I thought, someone gave it to me. He said, you've got to read this, Pastor. You know? So anyway, I skim read through this book. And they had a list in this book of all the things that a man has meant to do around the house and all the list of the things that the woman was meant to do around the house. You see? And I started reading this through thing through. And I looked at some of them and I shook my head and I looked at Diane and I said, and there was one there that says that men have to wash the cars and the women have to wash the dishes. And I looked at Diane and I shook my head because we do the opposite. Diane always sees the car as dirty before I even notice it. It's ever dirty. So she washes the car, you see. And I do the dishes, you see. And I thought, oh, this is not going to work for us, you know. <laughs> so that one went out the window. But, you know, some people got really, really hurt by that. Absolutely devastated because of this excessive emphasis on, on authority. And there was another one called the hyper-faith movement. And some of us got caught up in that, where, you know, if you have enough faith, you'll pray for people and they'll be healed. And when they weren't, you felt so condemned. And people condemned each other because of their lack of faith. And healing's far more complex rather than just, it's not all on faith. There are other issues around healing. Uh, but that hyper-faith thing, Man, so many Christians got condemned out of that. And you listen, these things are extras that can sidetrack us and actually undermine our relationship with Jesus and with our relationships with each other at times. 
So there's all kinds of extras that we can think about in the past. Paul is very strong in these verses here. He said in verse 16, Do not let anyone condemn you. And then he repeats this twice in verse 18. Do not let anyone condemn you. And then again, do not let anyone say, you must. Verse 20. You have died with Christ, and he has set you free from the evil powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the world, the rules of this world, such as don't handle, don't eat, don't touch? And Paul is insisting in this passage that we are to put down strong roots in Jesus and draw nourishment from him and not rely on the latest fad or the latest new thing that comes into the country that we think looks good. Verse 23, I think, is a, quite an amazing verse. Paul said this, These rules may seem wise. What an interesting statement. These rules may seem to be wise because they require strong devotion humility, and severe bodily discipline. Well, you know, some of us have been sucked into this and think, actually, what they are saying is wise. It seems to be wise. And it's requiring strong devotion. It's requiring humility. It's requiring bodily discipline. What's wrong with that? They all seem such fantastic values, don't they? Anyone disagree? You all? They do. And yet the end result of going down that extra is that it'll undermine your relationship with Jesus. And I think it's a really uh, important warning for us. And let me just finish by saying this. Whenever there are new fads or new spiritual extras that creep into our country or go around the circuit. We need to be cautious because initially they, they may seem to be wise, but in the long term, they can undermine your relationship with Jesus. And the second thing is this. This passage of Scripture is showing, showing us how important it is that we learn to be discerning and to, to have collective wisdom about things. So can I finish this morning by just challenging you again? Where are your roots? Are you building strong roots down into Jesus so that you're, you've got strong, strong anchor into the person of Jesus in your relationship with him? so that you can draw that nourishment up from him that will grow you into spiritual maturity. Hallelujah. Mark, let's uh, kind of lead us in a song as we finish this morning. Sorry. I just want to say again, we're going to have um, an early lunch um, after the service this morning, uh, just to give us time to... Uh,